Oh yeah, this is a little spooky, a <laughs> podcast about things that spook us just a little bit. Oh jeez. Like cryptids, conspiracies, aliens, or that really tall, mysterious lady from the new Resident Evil game. She's a vampire, I guess. You don't you don't sound scared of her <laughs> so much as I'm Everett. <laughs> and I'm Colleen. <laughs> she is an enigma, and people are obsessed with her. People? Yeah, the internet. Yep. Twitter. Are you one of those peoples? I'm intrigued. <laughs> sure, okay. No, no. The, okay. For those that don't know, New Resident Evil game is coming out soon. It's a pretty spooky series. And the people that are making the game just announced today that with her high heels and her hat... She stands at over nine feet tall. Oof. She's big. That's one big lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have something to share with everyone today. Oh, what's that? Uh, Colleen has been on a no sugar kick. How's that going? Yeah. <laughs> I love how you're the one who was sharing that. Great. Um, it has gone very terribly, and I have already failed. I lasted a solid... 12 hours. I'm proud of you. Thanks. There's no reason that man should live on vegetables alone. That's all I have to say. You can eat meat, too. Yes. Protein. So this specific quote-unquote diet was supposed to be a three-day sugar detox because I have a terrible addiction to sugar. I'd, I'd be embarrassed to elaborate further. But it was supposed to be three days, no sugar, no dairy, no carbs, no fruit, just to like, bam, cut off all sugar for three days. And then, you know, you, you gradually put stuff back in until you're back to your normal diet, hopefully with less sugar. And oh, man, it's, it's not humanly possible. Well, And she thought she would cheat a little bit with a banana and then it just broke down from there. <laughs> I, ate, I ate a banana after dinner. First off, if a banana is cheating on your diet... That shouldn't be a diet. Well, it's not a diet anymore because it's done. With, no, yeah, I ate a few Oreos. So today, Colleen. Yes. What are we talking about? <laughs> that was a quick transition. Today, we are talking about The Exorcism of Anna Eklund. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, what, are you, what are your thoughts on exorcism? They're pretty spooky to me. I mean. They are spooky. I, I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, as a as a child, mm-hmm. that was definitely something that I feared. Really, being possessed or just demons in general. But in my older years, it seems a little silly to me because I don't really know if I necessarily believe in demons or anything like that. But I know that there are exorcisms, or like people that say they're possessed, or other people say are possessed. And they do things that can't really be explained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I assume, and I'm not really familiar with Anna Eklund. I know Roland Doe. He's the one that The Exorcist is based on. Well, if you know the story of The Exorcist, this will sound very familiar to you. The reason I picked this case over Roland Doe is because it is the most well-documented case of possession in recent history, according to both theologists and paranormal scholars whatever that means and what is what is a theologist like just anyone that studies religion like what does that even mean just according to priests yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that because this, as you will find out, was a Vatican-sanctioned exorcism, um, theologians or theologists would be people who have studied exorcisms, this exorcism in particular, since its documentation. Okay. So Big Daddy Pope is getting involved yes, in this one. Yes, it's, it comes from the higher-ups. This was a long time coming with a lot of oversight. Okay. So, Anna Eklund. There's not too much known about her early life. She was born around 1882 as Emma Schmidt. Anna Eklund is a pseudonym that was given to her around the 1930s after this story came out just to protect her from people who might be too curious about oh, this story. Okay. So yeah. I'm just going to call her Anna Eklund. But she was born around 1882 to German immigrants in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. It seems like her mother left the family pretty early. There's almost no information on what happened. She may have died. She may have just left. Either way, she was not a part of their lives ever since Anna was pretty young, probably eight or nine. Okay. The father, Jacob Eklund, was a very abusive alcoholic. Verbally. Maybe that's why the mom left. I mean, it would not surprise me. And if that's the case, good for her. Sure. He was verbally abusive, mentally abusive, likely physically abusive. And he had a mistress named Mina. 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 Who it is stated is related to to him somehow. Mina is always referred to as Anna's aunt. So it's either Jacob's, she's either Jacob's stepsister or sister by marriage. Not a blood relative, but so still maybe, weird. Maybe the mom's sister or like one of his brother's could have been wives or sisters or something. It's it's an odd situation and frowned upon by the rest of the community. Sure. In that they called her a mistress and not like, you know, his girlfriend. Anyways, Mina, she was not trusted by the rest of the community. They, in fact, considered her to be a witch or at least a practitioner of black magic. We don't like her. Yeah, she's she's a, a witch. She's a witch. Specifically, uh, she was accused by some people of, of cursing herbs and then cooking them and giving them to people. I don't, I don't know if she embraced this title, if this was just like something that was whispered about her, but that was, she didn't seemed, deny it. She so. did not seem to openly deny it. She may not have even openly acknowledged it in any way, yeah. but she's disliked by the community and potentially a, a witch. <laughs> so Mina is just a little bit mean, eh? yep (laughs) her unconventional religious beliefs are not too far off from jacob eklund's he openly rejected religion he openly mocked the church there was even a story that on his deathbed there was a priest giving him last rites and he insulted the priest and laughed at him before he died nice so sticking it to the big daddy upstairs. Right. <laughs> now, maybe as like a form of rebellion or comfort or both, Anna was 
a very, very, very devout Catholic as a child. As in, she went to church multiple times a week. She was very active, an active participant in the church. She had spiritual advisors. One rumor that was spread was that sometime between ages 10 and 14, Jacob tried to initiate an incestuous relationship with Anna, and she refused. Good for her. Well, yeah. But obviously, following that, the relationship between her and Jacob was fairly tense, I would imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure it was before that, too, with the abuse and... Right, yes. And I imagine if it... If Mina was her mom's sister or something, she probably knew that, too. So, like, she was always, I am sure, uncomfortable at home, regardless. Yes. Yes. Of course. So this just, like, multiplies the fear and hatred of her family. Right. So that's about as much as we know about Anna's home life. Abusive father with a witchy mistress. She is very devout Catholic, perhaps as a way to escape her gross home, but also... You know, faith. When she was about 14, which kind of coincides with around the time her father proposed this incestuous relationship, I imagine it wasn't just a question. Yeah, I'm guessing it wasn't a question or uh, an idea. It was more a little. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it was not pleasant. But around age 14, she stopped going to church, which for her was very bizarre. People from the church found her and asked her, hey, where have you been? We haven't seen you in months. What's going on? Are you okay? And she said that for some reason, she can't enter a church. She was starting to have feelings of like intense hatred and violence. And there was some sort of invisible barrier keeping her from physically entering a church or a religious building. Are you, wait, so hold on. You said that she's German? Mm hmm. Are you sure that her family's not French? Yes. Into miming, maybe? (laughs) Putting up an invisible wall? As far as I know, she was not skilled in mimery. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you never know, really. If everyone has secrets. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Or, you know, miming could be the work of the devil. Or the the French. (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, so she was complaining about not being able to enter the church. There's some sort of physical barrier. She's having these visions and feelings of hatred and, like, violence towards religion in the church. And she was also reported to have had unspeakable sexual thoughts that she spoke about. To who? I assume to her, the spiritual advisors and to the people who were concerned about her and asking about her. Oh, okay. I imagine she was fairly open with these people. Yeah, the church people. Yeah. So these people of the church were like, whoa, you thinking about sex? Possessed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. This is 1912. We're talking early 1900s, small German immigrant village in Wisconsin. I'm assuming fairly rural. These, I imagine, are a superstitious people. Yeah. I mean, I can't guarantee that, but it seems like it. Well, they're already, like, on bad terms with her family, too, and I'm sure that doesn't help. Yeah, maybe they're they're just looking out for her. Yeah. And they're like, we just want to do anything to help you. 
Well, when the members of the community determined that Anna might be possessed, they contacted Father Theophilus Reisinger. He was a monk who started his priesthood in Germany, moved to New York, and then in 1912, he moved to Wisconsin okay. to continue his priesthood. That same year, he performed his first exorcism on Anna Eklund on June 18th, 1912. So not long after the reports of her possibly being possessed. And you said this this was sanctioned by the Vatican? So this one, there's not much information about because everything seems to have gone well. And there's no information about her for quite a while afterwards. It seems like this was just your casual living room exorcism. (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds like he, because I know from other stories of other exorcisms, like famous ones, it takes forever to get approval from the Vatican. Right. And that comes into play later. This seems to be like a precursor exorcism. Like these signs she was showing at age 14 were just kind of like a um, prediction of what's to come. Sure. So I I imagine at least at this point, it probably wasn't even an exorcism. Maybe it was just like a blessing or something that I'm not sure there's this one is not documented well at all. All I know is he performed his first exorcism June 18th, 1912, and we had didn't hear anything afterwards so it's presumed that her life went back to normal she went back to church she went back to doing all of her things okay upstanding member of the community and about 20 years pass and then her father dies oh okay and when her father dies all of those intense feelings of hatred towards the church and violence in general all come rushing back only this time instead of just thinking about it and like confessing it to her religious community she's actually started acting out on these violent impulses At one point she attempted to strangle a counselor of hers she destroyed religious symbols she started hearing voices and all of this made her incredibly depressed how old do we know or do we know how old she is here Oof. i mean i'm gonna guess she's in her early to mid 30s Okay, so I was thinking about maybe schizophrenia, but that usually shows up in early 20s. Well, honestly, the timeline here is a little bit wonky because there is no exact date that she was born. Right. Um, We know she was 14 in 1912, and then all of this happens when her father dies, but there's no date. But he hated religion and all that, too. So maybe his ghost is just like haunting her and just telling her to do all this stuff. Well, that's the thing. So when all of this started happening again, the community was thinking, well, Garsh. Garsh. He must be. Those themes must have gotten to her again. And they asked her, hey, what's going on? And she, Anna, blamed the original demon when she was 14 on Mina. Saying that Uh, Mina cursed her and made her eat some cursed herbs and that invited demons in. But with her first exorcism, those were expelled. Now that her father and Mina were both dead, Anna was convinced that they were cursing her. Oh, Mina died too. Yes. Anna was convinced that her father and Mina were cursing her and sending her demons from the afterlife. (laughs) That was her, like, understanding of what was happening. Okay. However, she did the logical thing, in my opinion. And before turning towards demons as her answer, she went to doctors and had a full-on checkup. 
evaluation and they said, you're fine. That's good because 1930s doctors, I feel like, may lean towards possible lobotomies. (laughs) As we know, mental health was the forefront of medicine in the 1930s. Pre-World War II was a great era for, (laughs) for having mental health issues. Right. Well... They said she was fine. And you know what? She's a religious person. She believes in heaven and hell and demons and God and angels. So what other explanation could there be than possession? I guess. Why not? Right. So she was frustrated, probably hoping that doctors would say there was something wrong with her. Yeah. Because demons are terrifying. And she turned back to the church, her church community for help. She was still feeling hatred towards the church, an inexplicable hatred. And this was brought on again around the time of her her father's father's death. death. So she wasn't spending this 20 years hating the church. No, as far as we know, she was went back to being a perfectly upstanding, active member of the church. So when she got kind of, I don't know, turned away from the doctors, she turned back to her church community for help. And before turning back to Father Theophilus, the spiritual advisors at her local church tried helping her out instead. So side note about exorcisms that we talked kind of about at the beginning is that in order to get an exorcism, uh, nowadays, I guess I can't speak for the 1920s, but Nowadays, it is, as far as I know from my years of Catholic education, very, very difficult to get an exorcism in the Catholic Church. It's not like other Christian religions where, you know, you can, the pastor can just do an exorcism or, you know. Yeah, I feel like the Catholic Church almost treats exorcism as like another sacrament. Like, I mean, obviously you're not going to get it like at some point in your life because it's so rare. But like they treat it like a huge fancy ritual, unlike a lot of other Christian faiths that are just kind of like it's like a prayer service. Yeah. And I can't speak to other Christian faiths, but the Catholic Church takes it incredibly seriously. Like demons can't just. Demons aren't around us all the time. It's like something that happens very and honestly, I went to Catholic school all through elementary and high school, church every Sunday, Bible school, that sort of thing. Never once was it really implied that demons were out to possess you. No, no. It's more of you have the choice to make a sin. But the, I mean, the idea other than stories in the Bible, demonic possession is not... And we would always ask like our our religious teachers in school to like about exorcisms. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. And it's something that wasn't really talked about. And they always acknowledge that it's a thing and it's something that could still happen. Mm -hmm. But like, it's just something they're like, don't worry about it. It's not really a thing. Yes. Right. And in order to get an exorcism, you have to get Vatican approval. And there are very, 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 very specific monks and priests who are allowed to do it. And there's like intense exorcism training for them. So you have to get Vatican approval. And before the Vatican will give you approval, you have to go through, you have to get medical evaluations, provide proof of 
this and that. It's like a years long process. And then you have to have it done by one of these church sanctioned experts. And I think the crazy thing about that whole process, too, is if they are to actually believe that someone is possessed, they're taking forever to actually even help. So, right. <laughs> so it's like this person is theoretically being possessed by something that's pure evil <laughs> and you're just letting them suffer and possibly harm themselves or others. Well, while you're just observing them. Yeah, I mean, that makes no sense to me. But at the same time, from everything I've read about Catholic exorcisms is that they're like grueling, dangerous procedures in which the recipient of the exorcism often almost dies i don't know how often they die but like it's a it's not a process you would want to just put someone through because you think there's a demon in them when it's likely they have schizophrenia or some sort of other you know mental illness or something anna even in the 1920s kind of had to go through this process her spiritual advisors before contacting the big big boys well the next rung of the ladder yes they you know they tried mentoring her and evaluating her and figuring out what was wrong and they noticed some weird abnormal things she smells like sulfur (laughs) actually and she sets stuff on fire no well not yet oh not yet (laughs) okay so to me every symptom that she's had up until now has been explainable through mental illness or you know trauma from you know potential yeah sexual abuse but these are a little bit less explainable. They're not very serious, but they're a little bit harder to explain. Apparently, she was able to understand languages that she had never heard or been exposed to before. Like French. <laughs> maybe, maybe she, she is was a secret possessed mime. by a mime. Yeah. They did specifically say that Latin, she understood Latin perfectly. And when priests spoke it to her, she started foaming at the mouth. But I kind of have to burst that bubble because before Vatican II in 1962. All services were in Latin. Yes, all services were performed in Latin. So even if she's not fluent in Latin, I imagine the... She knows the word for Jesus and God. I imagine she has a, a good enough understanding to understand a full Catholic mass. And if you can understand... And the words in there. And the words in there. And, you know, those words are likely repeated in a lot of rituals and prayers. So I don't necessarily feel like her Latin knowledge is that impressive. But they did make a point of mentioning there were other languages she could understand that she had never been exposed to before. And you're saying she could understand them. She wasn't speaking them. In this case, she did not speak them. She was just maybe responding to people speaking in other languages. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, she probably being a German, the the daughter of a German immigrant in Wisconsin, super Catholic, she spoke German, English, and Latin. So I imagine she she wouldn't have had access to... many other languages no i mean I don't in small so. town wisconsin in the 1920s yeah, i'm trying to think of other like people from other countries in wisconsin and all i can think of really is maybe norway uh, a little bit those are those minnesotans well but still nearby so yeah like there's or, not really I mean, much exposure to other right and depending languages. on where she is i suppose maybe indigenous languages yeah that too but but not like i am french right or other so not too weird that she would know those three, but still bizarre if she was able to like suddenly understand Cantonese. And we also or don't know what she was doing in her personal life too. Maybe she was 
a scholar and was reading, you know, books in other languages, too. Right. I mean, in the articles that I read, these were apparently languages she had never studied. Sure. So that's a weird one. But there was also another one that I think is interesting. She was able to tell whenever any blessed object was in her presence. So people would just like bless by people. I mean, priests, priests would like bless something and put it in a room. And then Anna would walk into the room and be like, that thing's been blessed. Get it out of here. And she would start going crazy and like foam at the mouth. And she would refuse to do anything until the object was removed. I'm I'm imagining like her in a room with like her community church members or whatever. And they're like, Hey Anna, what time is it? And then she looks at the clock. She's like, Oh, the clock is blessed. <laughs> that's, that's what they made it sound like. <laughs> I can't even look like at it. Like they're playing pranks on her or something. <laughs> that's honestly what they made it sound like. Like they tested it by just blessing random things and then bringing her into a room and she'd be like, <laughs> so uh, these two things seemed to solidify in their minds that it was not mental illness, but something more nefarious. So the priests in the community deemed her possessed. And after going through several years of observation in 1928, they call up Father Theophilus again and they say, hey, you got to re-up this girl. <laughs> <laughs> something happened. Give Whatever her, you did wore off. Give her her fall dose of yeah. the vaccine. Sorry, dude. You didn't do good enough the first time. So by now, it being almost 20 years later, Father Theophilus had been doing exorcisms basically this whole time. He was like the town exorcist, I guess. Okay. <laughs> and he was he was becoming a very well-respected priest. But the thing is, the people in Wisconsin didn't trust him because... Of the concept of exorcism. Yeah. Which might sound weird considering it seems like this community just leapt right towards exorcism. But there's a biography of his life and there's a passage that reads, We must had that there were some, both within and without the province, who could not see eye to eye with Father Theophilus. We think it true to say that the opposition was not due to the personality of the man, but due to the nature of his work, more specifically, his exorcisms. So basically what they're saying is the dude was fine. Like he was cool, whatever we liked him, but we don't believe in what he does. It's like when someone works for like a campaign of an opposing political yes. party or something. <laughs> Pretty like, much. We don't like what you stand for, but you can have a drink with me. Right. And you know, this a thought just occurred to me, but I mean, Germans at the time weren't necessarily Catholics, were they? No, they were Lutheran. So I'm wondering if that also had something to do yeah, with maybe, it. Yeah, maybe the majority of the community as a whole was, like, not Catholic, but then, like, Anna and her small sure. circle were Catholic. Right. But to me, this skepticism is kind of a point in the favor towards maybe it being real, in that... Although people were incredibly skeptical of the concept of exorcism and they tried everything before taking that step, they ultimately deemed it to be demonic possession. Again, that could just be lack of knowledge. Or, or they just or, really didn't like Anna. They, yeah, they just like, like way go away. There were and there are currently a lot of skeptics about exorcism, but this one has been so well documented and essentially so widely accepted by a wide variety of people that it's 
been difficult to disprove. I mean, equally hard to prove, but hard to disprove. And starting from here, this is where the documentation of the case like gets pretty detailed. This is when people started writing shit down. Sure. Okay, so they wanted to move Anna out of her town. Just like I said, get her out of here. (laughs) Yes, that could be part of it. But I think the stated explanation was so that when the exorcism was over and she was back to normal, she wouldn't have the stigma of like everybody knowing what happened. Sure. So they're like, oh, you were gone for a little while. Welcome back type thing. Like, Yeah, it's like well, in the olden days when a lady out of wedlock was pregnant, she got sent out to the country and then she came back not pregnant with like, no kids. Or like when a woman is on her period and just make her go outside for three days. Yes, exactly like that. So they moved her. They wanted to move her to a town in Iowa called Earling. Interesting. E- very eerie. <laughs> so the reason Father Theophilus chose Earling was because there was a convent there. It was a fairly small town, and he was friends with the priest in that town. Okay. So his original plan was to go talk to this priest. His name was Father Steiger. Okay. And get him to talk to the mother superior in the convent in the town to allow Anna to stay with them throughout this ordeal and to have the exorcism be performed within the walls of the convent. Sure, they were thrilled. (laughs) Right. Well, Father Steiger was like, I do not want this shit in my town. Like, I don't, I don't want, I don't trust it. I don't want it. I I don't want anything to do with it. I don't blame him. Like, why, why would anyone say, yeah, bring your demon here? Like, right. But in the interest of like maintaining his friendship with Father Theophilus, he was like, fine, I'll go ask Mother Superior. Even though in the back of his mind, he was like, there's no fucking way she's going to agree to this. Stupid. Yeah. However, he went and asked Mother Superior, and she was like, yeah, that's fine. It turns out that Father Theophilus had already sp- spoken to Mother Superior, but just kind of, like, talked to Father Steiger as, like, a courtesy. Make, make him think it was his idea. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> so, ha! Joke's on him. Okay, so they get Anna to the convent, and originally she was happy to have enlisted the church and to finally be getting help. For sure. what she, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's feeling depressed. She's hearing voices. She's imagining this is going to be her cure. And this is after a couple of years of observation, too, yes. right? So she's probably like, oh, something's finally happening, at least. Yes. But when, like, the ball starts rolling, that's when the demon starts acting up again because they know the exorcism is coming. So she starts getting incredibly violent get rowdy yeah she's, she's like this let's get rowdy the, the demon here. wants to party right well they she, it got so bad that they had to tell the personnel on the train in advance um how bad she was just like to cover all their bases because they didn't uh-huh. want to get kicked off the train that was their only way to earling iowa at the time they didn't want her to derail the train somehow <laughs> right. so i mean at least they let them know i guess Father Theophilus did not want to arrive at the same time as her. He didn't want to travel with her because he wanted to be like fresh as a daisy for the exorcism. Def- definitely not because he wanted some time away from her or anything. <laughs> you never know. But he actually arranged to be picked up in a brand new car by Father Steiger. This is 1928. In 1928, must have been a... Model T. Yeah. Most likely. I think that was the only one, right? 
I, I'm not a car person. I don't car. Well, I don't know cars either. I, but I'm, I just know of history. That's like the only one available, I think. Well, it shouldn't be too surprising, but apparently it surprised them that the car broke down for no reason whatsoever. God damn you, Ford. <laughs> Spooky. Father Theophilus obviously said this was the work of the devil, trying to stop them. And not shitty assembly lines. Yes, he will, quote unquote, try his utmost to foil their plans. Ford will? <laughs> For, yes, Ford is Satan in this case. Yeah. The thing is, it clearly didn't work if that was the work of Satan, because they eventually arrived at the convent. Nobody's hurt. They get there. Okay. Whilst they are waiting for Father Theophilus and Father Steiger to show up, Anna's getting situated at the convent, and she is animalistic. She refuses all food and drink because she could <laughs> because she could tell that the nuns had blessed it in advance, and so she refused to eat it. Fucking nuns! I <laughs> I imagine that they would stop blessing it after a while to just get her to something. So to eat, okay, so do, I imagine blessing food. Is different from just praying before you eat a meal. It has to be right, because why? Why would she know otherwise? I, I have no idea. Well, the Satan can tell these things. So these nuns, <laughs> they were just fucking with her. No, I was just thinking. So these nuns don't use salt and pepper; they just use holy water. I instead. mean, maybe the the flavor of the Lord is all that carries them through. I guess. Okay, so she wouldn't eat. She wouldn't drink. <laughs> she wouldn't drink. And this was going on for weeks. She was like starting to get super emaciated. She would drink like a teaspoon of water or a teaspoon of milk. Like a kitty. Like a kitty cat. And actually, they mentioned she would do this demonic purring <laughs> oh like God. a cat or a wild animal. Like she would rock <laughs> like, and like the little boy. The little boy from the grudge. Yes, exactly like that. Like, Eventually, the purring like escalated into just high-pitched, constant screams. Oh my God, that's gross. I and hate it, it. Yes, and it was so bad that the nuns actually had to create like a work schedule so that they could get some time away from her, so they worked yeah, in no shifts. no kidding. And actually, it was so loud that the people of Earling, Iowa could hear it echoing throughout, like, past the walls of the but, but it sounds like a cat <laughs> just probably think it's <laughs> probably think it's a cat getting like tortured yeah who knows so that's the 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 wait up to the first exorcism it is now august 1928 wait when did she arrive i'm sorry it was a few weeks earlier oh, okay. i'm not sure when okay but it, she wasn't there forever, though, like not like a whole a whole summer or something right she was just there long enough i think to probably acclimate to get used to where she is. And so the father could take a sweet time getting there. Sure. The beginning of the exorcism. It's starting now. It's finally starting. It's happening. Okay. They put Anna Eklund on an, a very heavy iron bed. And they had the strongest nuns in the convent. Hold <laughs> her down. <laughs> so Helga and... Yeah, and Olga. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. I think you've seen this movie with me before, Saving Silverman, the movie with Jack Black, and it's about like a Neil Diamond cover yes. band. There's one point where they go to a convent and the, all the nuns are just like bench pressing and stuff and just like working out and getting <laughs> buff. So what that's what I imagine. Just like these buff. Like, these are some German yeah, nuns. Bodybuilder women <laughs> in a habit. <laughs> But they have the strongest. Olga and Helga were holding her down. 
They were afraid that she might like scratch herself or injure herself otherwise. So they took her sleeves and they tied them shut, kind of like you would with a little baby, so they don't scratch their own face. But they didn't tie her to the bed. She was just laying on the bed. And they didn't declaw her. She was she was fully clawed, <laughs> intact. But they tied her sleeves shut so she couldn't she had a lesser chance of attacking them or scratching them. As the priests started saying the Holy Trinity, that's when shit starts getting fucky. She leapt off the bed. And you said she wasn't strapped in. She was, she was she, not strapped in. Okay. She was just laying on the bed. She leapt off of the bed and like Spider-Man style, like leapt above the door and was kind of just Spidey style hanging on the ceiling. This was witnessed by several nuns obviously, in the room. There were three priests in the room, and then the housekeeper and, like, several other people that worked at the convent. So this, wow. there were several witnesses to this that all stated the same exact thing. They were all wigging out, obviously. Yeah. Freaky. But they eventually got came to their senses, and they pulled her off the wall and then just decided to start over. I wonder if it was, like, a schluck noise. Yeah, like, like, I don't know. The other thing they mention is that even though she hadn't eaten in weeks, they mentioned that she had a teaspoon of water and a teaspoon of milk before each exorcism or okay. each session. Okay. She would vomit a ton of different substances out. And this was described by the priests sometimes as being like normal vomit, but other times she would throw up solid objects. Specifically, one weird thing was she at one point was vomiting entire tobacco leaves and whole spices. <laughs> wait, oh, wait. You said that uh, Mina cursed her with, with herbs. herbs. Maybe yeah. they've just been in her body this whole time somehow. I don't know. But apparently, she, I mean, her stomach was totally empty. So this vomit was coming out of nowhere. And they said that she would throw up up to 30 times a day, just massive amounts of. Viscera. Oh, that's nuts. Yes. And the room started to smell smell yeah. terribly. Oh my god. Just I, old crusty vomit. She wouldn't wash. Probably poop stank. Yeah. Maybe she's gotta the sulfurous go. smell of hell. I don't know. They yeah. didn't lock her in this room. She wasn't locked in the room. So I don't know what her bathroom break schedule was, but she wasn't like chained to the bed. Right. I imagine, though, they didn't let her leave the room during the actual exorcism session. And I can't imagine she could ever be unsupervised either. Right. So, I imagine like, someone Olga has to follow her to the, to the toilet <laughs> right. if, if that happened. Right. But anyways, the room was so bad, like, they had to take do shifts again. Like, you could not stand to be in that room for a particularly long amount of time. Gross. During the exorcism, they... Describe her as seeming comatose, like her eyes were closed. Unresponsive. Unresponsive. But without moving her mouth at all, she would talk in different voices and different languages. Mostly Latin, German, and English, which makes sense. But she would scream and do demonic growling. She would speak in voices that weren't hers, high-pitched voices, low voices. And all of this happened without her moving her mouth. Was she doing the meowing again, too, I'm guessing? I imagine that goes with demonic growling. So she, it's not, she's not moving her mouth. So is she, like, in, like, like a hive mind, like, telepathically projecting voices? Or is it just coming out of, like, her, like her 
I they belly or something. I'm not. They're making it sound like it was physically coming out of her. Interesting. So like you know, like in all those exorcism movies where all of a sudden they start speaking with a demon voice. Yeah, but it's never without their mouth moving. So that that just is very odd to me. Yeah, I don't know. I imagine it's just like a booming tummy voice. Booming tummy voice. <laughs> okay. Well, these voices eventually uh, claimed to be Beelzebub. Interesting. Lucifer. The big man himself. The big man himself. Judas Iscariot. Jacob Eklund and Mina. Oh. They also determined that she was possessed by like hundreds of lesser demons. So somehow the gate opened up and she was like inhabited by all the big boys and their friends. Whoa. Yes. So obviously the priests started with the lesser demons and they worked through and exercised all those the ones that like weren't powerful enough to hang on. Sure. At this point, she started exhibiting some other very strange, unexplainable symptoms. She would be able to look at somebody she had never met or like, you know, nuns that she didn't know and tell them their past histories, secrets about themselves that they had never told anyone else. And of course, she would have no way of knowing. Oh, OK. So that that's actually is a lot like the movie The Exorcist. Yes. Because the little girl in that movie does that to the, the priests, I think. Right. Yes. I think that's a trope in like a lot of them. And well, honestly, but I, think I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's based off of this and probably other stories. stories. Yes. So after eight solid days of these exorcisms, like day and night, probably with very little breaks, they started to fear that Anna was going to die because she was like super emaciated. Obviously, this whole thing is stressful. And she started like puffing up like a balloon, like her lips were all swollen. And yeah. she was just, just from like, yeah, just stress, exha- exhaustion and not eating. Right. Yeah. So they they stopped. They decided to take a break. And only when they officially stopped the final session did she like snap out of her comatose state. And she was like, whoa, what's going on? So she, it seems like, didn't really have any knowledge of what happened. Like she wasn't there. It was just a demon. So they gave themselves a little break and restarted the sessions on September 13th. And this time, Father Theophilus decided to ask individual demons questions because now he had gotten it down to the core five beelzebub lucifer judas jacob and mina yeah and the like in any story like this you're always supposed to call the demon by its name right because that's like holds power over it or something that wasn't mentioned here that sounds like a movie trope no that's i think that's like a i mean if you're to believe any of this is real like i think that's something that you're supposed to do you have to find out its name you have to identify it so you can uh, exercise it. Well, either way, I mean, somehow they found out that these five bad boys were in her. These bad boys. Yes. So Father Theophilus would ask each individual demon different questions in different languages, and they would always respond in the language he asked in. Okay. So, again, another instance of her speaking languages that at least other people did not think she knew how to speak. Right. Beelzebub was the first demon to explain what was happening, and he said he was the one who first possessed Anna when she was 14, and he was there because when she refused to have sex with her father, Jacob cursed her. Mm -hmm. So that confirms her suspicions. Yes. And then Judas, like as Beelzebub is talking about this, 
Judas interrupts him. So there are two voices coming out of her at the same time. And Judas speaks in such a loud, like unnaturally loud voice that the nuns all got terrified and ran out of the room. But they could still hear what he said. He said that Satan commanded him to possess her, torture her, and drive her to suicide so that she would be sent to hell to be with her father and Mina. Then her father spoke. And he said that even though... He spent his entire life being a shit and ridiculing the church and being an alcoholic. That is not actually what sent him to hell. He was totally fine. You can forgive him for that. What sent him to hell was the fact that he... uh, He was miming. (laughs) He got into miming. (laughs) And that, as we know, is an immediate hell sentence. Yeah, it's one of the deadly sins. Right. But apparently cursing sends you straight to hell. So the curse that he's put on Anna doomed his fate. Mina also spoke, and she said that she was put in hell for having an affair with Jacob. Interesting, though, that Jacob wasn't put in hell for having an affair with her. Sexism. This is yeah. This is religious sexism. But also, she apparently killed all of her own children, so that probably is one of those but, deadly sins. But yeah, affair is uh, Trump's killing children. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting, though, Father Reisinger specifically wrote down that Mina was the worst demon of all. She beat Lucifer, Beelzebub, and Judas Iscariot. As as the only female demon. As the only female demon, she was the worst, most shrill demon of all, who far surpassed all of the others in hatred and spite. And when she spoke, she spit everywhere. So, yeah, definitely definitely worse than Judas, Beelzebub, and Lucifer Well, yeah, you don't want to be in a room with that. No. It's annoying. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure she probably nagged everyone to take off the garbage or something, too. (laughs) Of course. What else? You got to have a woman to keep the other four demons in line, I suppose. (laughs) So while Father Theophilus was interrogating all of these demons, Anna would exhibit even more strange behaviors. She would alternate between becoming so light, like light as a feather, that she would levitate off the bed. Or... She would become so incredibly dense that she would crash onto the bed and bend the iron legs of the bed. This tiny little... Emaciated, yeah. yeah. So that's weird. And then she started again pointing at people and listing sins that they committed that she, of course, shouldn't have known. Right. This session lasted for seven days, and again, they stopped for the same reason. She was not doing well. Yeah, it seemed like she might die. Right. Stress. Stressful. Now, all of this at the time was weighing very heavily on Father Steiger, who did not want any of this to happen in the first place. Right. For some reason, the demons knew this. And during all of these sessions, they would just go after him. Like all of their hatred was just focused on him for some reason because they knew he was weak. He he was like um, Chunk from the Goonies and everyone picked on him. Exactly. So he started to regret the whole thing. I'm sure he regretted the whole thing from the beginning. Right. And he told Father Theophilus, you got to get out of here. Like, you can't do this here anymore. You got to get out. Like, we got to move on. And Father Theophilus said that those thoughts were the work of the devil. Of course. Right. So Father Steiger was like, whatever. And they kept going. But he started to have nightmares. The demons threatened him specifically 
Instead of just general taunting, there was a specific threat. One demon said, I cannot harm God directly, but I can touch you and his church. Just wait until Friday comes. Mm. What's going to happen on Friday? What do you think is going to happen? It's going to be win free tickets to the mime show? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, Friday's the day that Jesus died. So Friday always holds significance of being like a bad day. That's true. Well, the Friday after that threat came, he was driving down a road that he drove down all the time. Because even though all of this exorcism stuff was going on, he still had to fulfill his like normal priest duties. Right. He was driving down a road to offer last rites to one of his parishioners and a black cloud appeared on the road in front of him. Like a super dense black cloud just out of nowhere. And he slammed on the brakes because he couldn't see through it. Yeah. And as he slammed on the brake, he slammed into the railings of a bridge, overturned his car, and was hanging half on, half off the bridge, like balancing, like in a bad thriller movie. And then Mothman comes to save the day. That'd be freaking awesome. But I mean, he was able to escape. Oh, okay. He did get help. You know, somebody drove past and was like, whoa, this isn't good, and took him to a hospital, and he got checked out, and he was fine, and then he returned to the convent. When he returned... And went back into one of those exorcism sessions. The demon said, I certainly showed him up today. What about your new auto? The dandy car, which was smashed to smithereens. <laughs> it serves you right. <laughs> Wait, so It's a theatrical demon. Yeah. So we're to assume that demons can just leave a possessed body and then their true form, or at least their form when they're not possessing someone, is just a black gas cloud. Is that what you got out of it? I just assumed like they sent a cloud. Well, but that demon said I did it. Well, yeah, but the demon might have been the one who sent the cloud. I guess, yeah. Also, I have another gripe about mm-hmm. all this. Mm-hmm. Are we to assume that if you go to hell after you die, you just become a demon? That's what it sounds like. Because Yeah. I, I, I always thought that demons were like angels. Like humans don't become angels. Angels are their own thing. Well, I don't think they were. Well, right. I guess in the same sense that their own thing. That's what I've always thought, too. But I I think the only angel in hell is Lucifer, right? Right. I'm just saying there are different species. Like, you go to hell, but you're still a human. Yeah, I always assumed demons were just the creation of the devil, and then they're the ones that torture the people that go to hell. That's what I always assumed. But it turns out that if you're in hell, you can possess someone. Or maybe you can just rise the ranks and become a demon. Uh, Yeah. We've seen Supernatural. Doesn't that happen? That's true. (laughs) <laughs> obviously that show is correct in I, every I just way. thought it was so interesting because it, it, this isn't that long after Mina and Jacob died like, it was a couple of years after the observation before yeah the, but to, what is time in hell really that's true what is hell good point who knows anyways they re-resume sessions on December 15th 1928 and this was the last stretch of exorcisms okay Steiger, after that whole car crash, he was over it. I mean, he went in and out and assisted where he could, but he was not, he was no longer a a major part of the exorcism. Yeah, he was an active participant. Uh, Yeah, and I don't blame him. By this time, all of the lesser demons had been driven out. So this final stretch of exorcism sessions, (laughs) exorcisms, just focused on those five big boys. And the priests and the nuns did rituals for three solid days and nights nonstop. They mentioned that Father Theophilus started to look like a corpse. He was just constantly doing exorcism rites after exorcism rites until, bam, December 22nd. 
they're doing their thing, their exorcism thing, mm-hmm. just chilling. And suddenly Anna leaps out of the bed and levitates above it. So she's like standing, but levitating on the bed. Okay. Yeah. Father Theophilus claims that he had a vision at that moment that Lucifer and Beelzebub were standing in the corner of the room and he looked at them and he commanded them to hell. Standing there like the Blair Witch thing. At yeah, the end. I guess. Spoilers, but yeah. Lucifer was described as tall with matted black fur on his lower hooved body. He admits, though, that this was a vision. Like, they weren't actually standing there, so th- yeah, this was a vision sure. of the past. But as the vision dissipated, the room shook like a giant earthquake. And this was noted by everybody. Like, everyone felt this. It wasn't just a part of his vision. There okay. was an actual earthquake in Iowa, apparently. And after this earthquake, Anna collapses back onto the bed and she yells, Beelzebub, Judas, Jacob, Mina, hell, hell, hell. She skipped Lucifer. Yeah, they didn't really make much mention of Lucifer during the the whole thing. The big bad boss. Yeah, you would think he'd be the main one, but I guess not. Anyways, after that whole debacle, she opened her eyes and she said, My Jesus, mercy, praise be Jesus Christ. Okay. And that was it. They said that the only thing left in the room was that nasty ass stank that they all like pretty much just tried to escape immediately. Crushed iron bed, too. Right. That's the story of Anna Eklund. They said from then on, she was only occasionally possessed by a couple lesser demons, but she could handle them by herself. (laughs) Um, She returned to the convent a few months after the exorcism to say, like, thanks, Olga, for your powerful biceps. Yeah. (laughs) But every single nun that was there at the time had put in for a transfer and was gone because they just did not want to be in that building anymore. Yeah, I mean... And I wouldn't be surprised if this whole thing like shook their faith a little bit too, honestly. Right. Or solidified it. Well, depending on how you look at it, I guess. But it's got to be terrifying either way. So yeah, I'm sure they'd want to leave. Right. So as far as we know, that was it. Anna was fine. The priests did their priesty stuff. And we don't hear anything about her ever again. Everybody tried to keep this a secret. Like, nobody came out and talked about this. The priests didn't, like, preach about it. None of the... I mean, everybody just wanted to put it behind them. Yeah, yeah. So this whole story would have been lost to the ages, if not for a man named Reverend Carl Vogel. I don't know how he got a hold of the story. Okay. but So he, he wasn't there, though. As far as I know, he was. He wasn't mentioned in any of the reading that I did. Okay. But somehow he got a hold of the story and he gathered all of the eyewitness accounts and he published them in a 48-page pamphlet called Be Gone, Satan! Which I read. And it is actually very interesting. It's exactly what I just told you. Like, I'm not going to say word for word. It's like a dialogue version of what uh, I just yeah, told like you. Yeah, the timeline is the same. Yep. Same descriptions and everything. This was not, like, distributed to people, like, out to the masses. It wasn't meant for entertainment. This was actually only used within the Catholic Church as, like, a training document or, like, to encourage people who might come across somebody who needs an exorcism or to, like, explain how exorcisms work. Yeah, like it or wasn't maybe signs to look for or something. Right. The, it actually says, quote, it's to encourage those of strong faith to continue to give battle to the evil one. So, I mean, basically, Be Gone Satan is this podcast. 
So my thoughts originally were, if it's just a bunch of nuns and priests all in a room together, like, I think kind of corroborating, like, either yeah, it's a mass delusion or, like, maybe they have a reason they want to. Yeah, they could have come up with the same story and, like, planned it right. for, for documenting it. And that could still be the case. But there were people who were not members of the faithful who were there, such as, like, housekeepers, assistants, general population that was used to help with the exorcism. Yeah, sure. Teresa Vigerer was the housekeeper for Father Steiger, and she witnessed the entire exorcism, like the whole process. And she came forward and she wrote a statement at the very end of, Be gone, Satan! Saying, quote, I was witness to almost the entire period of the exorcism of the Erling Possession case, and I can truthfully say that the facts mentioned in Begone Satan are correct. Some of the scenes were even more frightful than described in the booklet. There is not the slightest doubt in my mind that the devils were present, and I will never forget the horrible scenes, vile, filthy, and dirty as long as I live. Hmm. So, uh, what reason would she have to lie about that, I guess? Yeah, I mean... I can't I can't think of one. I'm sure there are reasons. But. Yeah, but I mean, so this whole thing still I mean, you said yourself you hadn't even really heard of it. Mm -mm. You, I mean, if you Google it, you can find a lot of articles about it now. Yeah, but I mean, it's still kind of a secret thing. It's not something we learned about in religion class. And it, this was one of the last official Vatican sanctioned exorcisms. I, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I mean, I'm sure bits and pieces of the story have been used as inspiration for a lot of these exorcism movies. But there hasn't been, at least to my knowledge, an actual like Hollywood movie about this specific there, story. There was one made. It just wasn't very popular. It was in 2016, The Exorcism of Anna Ackland. Okay. So that's still pretty recent, though. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because there's all these other exorcism movies, like Emily Rose and just the original The Exorcist, but... Yeah, this story is kind of interesting because it happened in a convent with all of these buff nuns helping. Yeah, those buff, sweaty nuns. Yeah, lessen the food. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that's funny. I chose this exorcism story because I don't know much about exorcisms other than what I had seen in scary movies. It turns out, though, that all of the tropes in scary movies are based in quote-unquote, real-life exorcisms. Yeah. So, like, the whole, like, head spinning around, that might be... Yeah, that's for the movie, for sure. Movie scare, but, but the, the continual vomiting of weird substances, yeah, and speaking in languages. Knowing things you shouldn't know and consulting the priests about it. and Yes, like, hatred for the church. I mean, so... Well, that goes yeah, right. without saying, but... So, how do you explain that? I mean, I want to find a way other than mental illness... But yeah, you can't explain like if if it if all of this is true, the documentation. You can't explain the levitation or the crushing of the iron bed. You can't explain easily, Speaking at least tones. the yeah the the language thing, and then the knowing stuff you shouldn't know. Right, because I mean, all of the basic stuff you can attribute to mental illness, like religious fantasy, depression, hearing voices. Yeah. Um, and just violence like violent flashing out yeah or and even perhaps some of the like vocal 
purring tick. Maybe. I mean, not the not the portion where she didn't move her mouth. That was a little weird. Right. That is weird. But, but I mean, uh, but yeah, just like the speaking and like, or yeah, the growling, the yeah, like, animalistic like. Right. Those kind of all these symptoms of a variety of mental illness or even like physical illness. Like, yeah, because she was she had starved of some kind. And, well, or, and she was starved too. And I'm sure that causes a lot of stress on the body to like kind of right. react oddly. So I was trying my best to explain this all the way. But yeah, I can't. The levitating. No. And the the knowing things about people. Oh, and the constant vomiting, even though you haven't eaten anything. Vomiting up specific objects. That too. Yeah. That's gross. And so, yeah, are we supposed to think the implication of her barfing up actual like plants and herbs is because of her being cursed? Or is it just like odd that I mean, I just think it's weird. It was that that she was throwing up. I have no idea. When you you were first saying that portion, I thought you were going to say like she barfed up like a wrench or something like that. Well, that's what I was hoping. hoping. I was thinking they'd be like, oh, she barfed up a crucifix or something. But no, and she she might have. They said she barfed up objects, but I feel like that's notable enough that they would have mentioned that specifically if they mentioned tobacco leaves and whole spices. So I'm not sure. Though tobacco leaves and spices are often used in witchcraft. And cursing. Cursing. Yeah, that's the story. I... I don't know. The spookiest thing is somebody being able to look at me and just say something about me, even though they don't know me. Yeah. Now with the internet, that's probably easier. But like face to face, yeah, that would be very, yeah. Like, what do you even do? How do you react to that? I don't know. I don't know, man. Anyway, that's Anna Eklund, and that's Satan. So <laughs> I think I still think it's so funny too that they just kind of keep glossing over the fact that Lucifer himself was possessing I, her. I I like added. No, I didn't add that. They mention it, but whenever they talk about her being p- possessed, they just mention the four demons: Jacob, Judas, Mina, and Beelzebub. But then you know, always later they'd casually be like, "Oh well," and she also was um, Lucifer in himself was possessing her. And I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like you should add that to the big five. Yeah. Make of that what you will. Anyways, I, this has been kind of a longer episode. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, definitely very informative, too. I mean, I don't know if we'll do another exorcism or at least not in the near future. But if you like kind of this style of like a little more serious, in-depth uh, analysis of a story, as opposed to kind of like a little more lighthearted, cryptid type stuff, let us know. Want to know what you like as the listener. Yeah, do you believe this shit? Have you been exercised? Doubt it. Some people, I mean, you don't have to go through a Catholic exorcism. No, I know. I just don't think even in America as a whole, it's that common. I think that exorcisms are wildly common in the American South. Oh, yeah, I suppose. I I have always kind of associated it with, like, South America. Yes. Currently. And those would be like Catholic. Yeah, not exorcisms. sanctioned, but they're yeah, they're overwhelmingly Catholic there, like especially in Brazil. But yeah, if you do you do you know Anna? Do you know any of her family? <laughs> well, I, I assume Anna cursed? died in like the forties or fifties. They did ancestry.com or something. True. I don't know. If but, you have any cool info, share it with us. Or if you have a story that you would like to send to us to read on the podcast, do it. Because we would love to read it. Uh, and if you've, I've, I've also kind of wanted this recently too. If you've ever written a short creepypasta, I would like to read that as well. Yeah, that'd be great. We don't have any to share for this week. But you can send them to our email 
at contact at nerdsloth.com. Or feel free to slide into our DMs on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at nerdslothhq. This was a this was a really interesting story to research, especially with having had a Catholic education. Just kind of yeah, you'd think this is something that we would hear more about. But no, they don't. Want, no. They don't want the the rebels to find a reason to no. cause mischief or anything. <laughs> no. Also, this episode is coming out before the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, I hope you lose. You suck. Bye. Yeah, suck it, Tom Brady. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got today. Hope you enjoyed it, and we love y'all. We love you. Bye. Bye. Presented by NerdSloth, a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com.